Uh, hey everybody, this is Andrew Wicklander, uh, the founder of Ideal Project Group, here again with another episode of the Project Idealism podcast. And uh, today I'm really excited to have uh, Mike Hostetler and Jonathan Sharp on, and they are the founders of a company called Append2, and they do uh, only jQuery development. So I'm going to talk to them about how they built their business um, and all that good stuff. So... Guys, thanks for joining me, and welcome. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So why don't we just start off by, uh, so real quick, we, the three of us, met uh, at Big Omaha this year, which was uh, a great conference, and we chatted it up a bit, and so I uh, thought this would be nice to, to bring them on. So why don't we just start with you guys talking a little bit uh, about when your business started, uh, how, how you guys partnered up. How many people you originally started with and where you guys are at now, just so everybody has a little bit of a frame of reference for your business. You want to take that one, Mike? Uh, sure, we can, we can talk about that. Um, so we founded in October of 2009. Uh, the idea for Appendu had been around for several months previous to that, but we waited intentionally until... The jQuery project itself had formed a nonprofit to protect the source code and to get a little structure um, around kind of what the the project contained. So we um, uh, formed formed the company uh, and immediately took on a, a project to do some training for AOL, and we had been invited to. Uh, write a book that then didn't work out. So we had prepared a whole bunch of curriculum and had a bunch of content for the book and um, uh, then went off and did the training and ended up using that, uh, the proceeds from that training to get the company started. So since then, uh, we've been doing a lot of market research, trying different things, and in May of last year, we really started growing. And we are currently uh, at 11 people with a couple of contractors um, and have continued to grow. So cool. that's a quick history. So when you guys started, was it was it just the two of you or did you have a few other people that were on board right away? So like when you say you're at 11, um, was, I guess, talk a little bit about the growth and how you, you know, how those people came on and all that kind of stuff. So when we, when we started, uh, there were a couple of other people uh, Jonathan and I paired up as founders, and we had um, kind of some interesting, uh, just interesting part of our history. During the first part of 2010, we tried to be very corporate and uh, you know do what we thought people needed. Um, in doing so, we had a couple of missteps and learned several. Uh, we just weren't authentic to what we knew people needed, what we uh, knew we could sell. And as a result, um, the stumbled a little bit in the first part of 2010. Uh-huh. Um, the person we had brought on who was very well-intentioned in helping us get off the ground but didn't quite, just didn't get the traction we were looking for, uh, ended up resigning on us and... Uh, so we picked up the pieces and and then started doing things our way 
and just doing what we knew, focused on executing, focused on you know delivering um, just high quality services and solving problems. And from then on, it's been that was really kind of May of 2010. Um, really got some traction, and then grew to 11 people, like I said, uh, in January of this year, where we intentionally capped the size of the team um, because we wanted to focus on cultural issues and really nail down our operations um, and uh, just figure some foundational things out. Right, Um, right. And now we're we're kind of, we've got a lot of that down. We've got a lot of our operational not issues, but just we've we've matured sure. just, um, operationally. So we're going through kind of a uh, a phase where we're gearing up to grow again. So that's been really exciting because we know we have a solid foundation to stand on. Right. We focus a lot on uh, eliminating chaos. Um, growth can bring a lot of chaos if you don't have good plans and, and good people. So we've done a lot of legwork to minimize that, and uh, you know when we do grow, we'll be able to grow and maintain our culture, maintain the quality level of services we provide, and solve some of the real problems we've identified since the company was founded. So, right, so it's going to be exciting. So, of those people, of the so the eleven people, does that include the two of you, or is that in addition to the two of you? And- uh, that that includes that that includes the two of us, yeah. And so what's the like, so obviously you guys do jQuery uh, development. What is the, what's the breakdown in terms of like, you know, marketing or sales people or operations people versus people that are doing the programming and all that kind of stuff? What's sure. Sort of- so uh, right now, um, in terms of strict overhead versus uh, kind of a, a services or billable, um, we are a little bit overhead heavy because we've been focusing so much on uh, building that foundation. So it, it's a little bit difficult to quantify that. I wouldn't call us normal in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, right now we have uh, one director of operations who handles a lot of the operational stuff. Jonathan uh, manages the operations and, and is kind of the client-facing project manager. I do a lot of the sales and business development. And then the rest of the team is uh, JavaScript developers, JavaScript architects, designers, UX people, uh, or we have one system administrator as well. Okay. So I was going to ask you about that. So you are a – and you market yourself as um, a jQuery shop, right? So – but it sounds like you also have uh, like some designers in front. Like, I guess where's the? Do you strictly do jQuery development, or do you do full like front end development, and you work with programmers to do more like deep back end stuff? Or how? What's the like? What's the breakdown in terms of where you turn business down and that kind of stuff? Sure, Because sure. I'm always like really interested in people who find a way to really just focus on a niche and do just that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, we've gotten, in talking to people, we've gotten some feedback that we don't, uh, there's confusion in how, what people think we do. We Like, out of the gate, we have, uh, 
we we spent a lot of time trying to figure out which problems we wanted to solve. Okay. Um, so in that case, we've gone wide. Out, out of the gate, though, we did decide that the that line of when do you turn down work was uh, we we deal with anything after it leaves the server. So anything in the browser, and we've stretched that a little bit lately, but okay. uh, it makes sense. the stretch we made was made sense. But so after it's left the server, CSS, HTML, JavaScript performance when it leaves the server, that's where we. We, what we deal with, what we uh, what we focus in on. Okay. Um, the extension is we've begun to dip our toes into JavaScript, the language, and how that language translates to the server side with Node.js. So we're looking into that right now. Like I said, it, it fits very well, but it is some server side stuff where we'll um, we'll do that for clients. But uh, for the most part, that's been our line and. We are actually in the middle of, of defining all of that further and, and better describing it to customers further. So Okay. Okay. Cool. So let's talk about sales a little bit. Um, you have some pretty like big name clients that a small business has been able to land. Um, like Microsoft, E-Trade, you mentioned AOL. So can you talk just a little bit about how you you know, how your sales process started, especially when there, you know, when you were smaller before you had the larger team and, you know, how you built, you built up to that. Um, sure. Uh, there was, I would say two things that went into that. One was, uh, the previous relationships we had established before starting the company through our own consulting, uh, and our own freelancing and also the jQuery project. Okay. And we knew, Initially, we knew what problems needed solved. We knew what services people wanted. And then the second thing is we priced appropriately. Um, and I would say, you know, pricing. So when you say priced appropriately, are you, do you mean um, like you looked at pricing as marketing and you were targeting those larger clients? Yes. Okay. We looked at pricing as marketing for two reasons. One is we wanted to make sure that we built enough margin into the business and what we did to contribute back to open source. Um, and you know, in our previous experience, we knew how to do that. Um, and then the second thing is we knew what kind of clients we wanted to work with, um, and we knew what rates they would pay and and how to break into that. So we had some a lot of experience coming into it. Right. Um and then just had the connections. Uh and you know when when we did a project, we just focused on knocking it out of the park. So Sure. Cool. So let's so you mentioned that uh Jonathan does a little bit more of the like the project management and the operations and 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 that kind of stuff and you're more of the the sales. So Jonathan, talk a little bit about uh like what it's like working. So you're part of a small business. This is something I've been intrigued by lately. The small businesses working with really large businesses and how, you know, how do you try to maintain your own culture within your smaller company and the values that you guys have when you, when you have people working with some of these larger companies who may have maybe not necessarily better or worse values, but just different values um, and how you kind of weigh that stuff. I, uh, it's really, a, I think, boils down to expectation management um, on, on the bottom line. And 
That's always something that's easier to establish going into a new relationship um, than sometimes with existing clients. Um, it's still possible to change it with existing clients, but it, it obviously takes more work because um, you're, you're changing a relationship that's already there. Um, so it, as far as expectations, it boils down to just communicating those with the client. Um, usually, you know, every business has a different culture, and those differences are going to come out. Um, but we, we haven't had, you know, one of the things that's foundational to our culture is the 40 to 45 hour a week work limit um, on our employees, which uh, there's a number of, pe number of people and companies out there that, that work a little bit different than that. Um, so a lot of times in, in our uh, statements of work or um, depending on the, the project scope, uh, we, we just clearly state that up front that, you know, we, we limit our employees to 45 hours a week. Um, as a corporate policy, and uh, if there are exceptions that need to be made, um, they're to be made and approved by myself or Mike. Um, but majority of the time, we, we really are advocates on uh, the side of our employees. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it's, there's the, the main difference, I would say, between um, kind of the, the very large corporate client in, in some of your mid and small size is just the, the level of expectation. Um, you know, the, the type of work for the most part is the same, um, but there it's just on a, a much larger scale. Um, right, right. And so approaching it, you know, th those first few projects that you step into uh, can be like the first time you set foot on a basketball court and it's the championship game. But the reality of it is that as soon as you get into it and you start playing, um, it just comes out. And, you know, there's, it, it's, it's important. The, the risk obviously has gone up because um, there's more at play. But um, really knowing how your, your team performs is, is what allows you to move into that space. Right. And you guys are, you, your people, if I recall correctly, your people are based pretty much uh, like all over. Right. Yeah, that that's correct. Of the eleven people uh, that we have on staff here, we're in nine different states in the United States. Um, so, uh, Nebraska, for example, uh, we have two people located here, and then we have two people based in Colorado. Um, and then, apart from that, everyone else is is spread out. We all work from home. Um, we don't have any co corporate offices that we we go into. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a different environment. Yeah, yeah, and so and, and and most of the people that are working for you guys when they go onto a client project, do they tend to work on on site on their client projects, or are they also generally working remotely, working from home, or you know, library, coffee shop, or whatever when they're on their client client work also? Yeah, um, when we first started out, and, and Mike talked about the, the early part of 2010, uh, we did a, a lot of on site client consulting type work, development work, um, which, which I think is, is important um, when establishing some of those relationships. So uh, th there are some larger projects. I, I would say all the large clients that we've had, there's been in at least uh, early on in that relationship uh, an on-site to some degree, which usually lasts about a week. Um, but in the first part of 2010, we were doing much more than that. And, uh, you know, it, it's a... It's a trade-off. Um, there's right. there's impacts of, of having to fly out every week. Um, you know, it, it 
at first I was I was doing a lot of flying and, and a lot of the hands-on consulting at, at first, and it gets really exciting when you start flying and start racking up miles, and then you hit premier status, and you're like, this is cool. And then you realize it's not cool because um, you're sitting in first class next to a gentleman that has been doing that for probably 30 years, and he doesn't look happy. Um, <laughs> so um, just general rule, people in economy and economy plus tend to be more uh, conversive than those in first class. Um, but but we, we've been able to shift most of the relationships there, uh, and, and you, this ties in extensively to the sales strategy that, that Mike manages of um, assuring clients that you know remote development can work. Uh, I think that's one thing culturally that's been changing uh, over the last 18 months in the U.S. is that companies are, I'll say, more receptive to remote working. Um, yeah, I feel though, like I've noticed that yeah. too, especially, yeah, the last year or two years, it seems, especially. Yeah. I mean, Cost-wise, it, it's... We, when it's dialed in, it can make it can be very effective cost-wise. Uh, there are issues such as data security, uh, managing time zones, but mm-hmm. you know those are they can be solved in a very straightforward way. Uh, so when you get down to it, and our pricing, our new pricing is reflecting this to some degree. Uh, it's just it's not worth it's not worth the extra cost to sometimes go on. The one exception to that is that when you start a new project, um, face-to-face contact, you know, either through video or sitting down face-to-face, is incredibly important. Um, you know, there's something about human relationship that if you can establish that face-to-face, then you can get on the phone and have continue to progress and build a relationship. Um, because you have a, a foundation, you've you know tied into each other's body cues and, and that sort of thing. But uh, if you don't have that, you know you can still make it work, but you just have to work a little harder. So we've uh, we've taken we've taken that concept to heart, and we've really tried to bake a lot of that into not only our relationship with our clients, but the relationship we have inside the company, in our culture, and our employees, and their relationships with each other. Right. So. So yeah, Jonathan, I, when you and I spoke for a bit at Big Omaha, we just, you know, one of the things I remember you mentioning was that you guys cared a lot about, you know, just your employees' families and the, the, their, that they're happy in their lives and that kind of stuff. And there's, so beyond the financial cost of traveling, I feel like there's, yeah. there's like, a, there's just sort of like a human cost as well that isn't, it's sort of like not talked about quite as much, but I think is, is felt even more than the financial stuff, you know, so. Oh, oh absolutely. Um, that I, I had, prior to, to kind of that, that boot phase of a pen to, um, like say work from home and, and it, it's, there could be a whole other podcast or series on working from home. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, right. just in general, you know, flying out is is really difficult. Um, my daughter just turned three last week. And, you know, it, it's one thing to, to be gone for two days, three days. Um, but being gone for five days definitely has a, a toll and an impact on that. Um, you know, it, it's... Yeah, it, it, it's a, a cost that we had to, it's part of the phase that we had to go through. Right. Um, but I, I haven't traveled in the last 
two and a half, three months now. Um, and that, that's just been wonderful. Um, but the, you know, regarding the, the family aspect, that, that's key to our culture. And, and I think that's, that's really reflected by the, the cross-section of, of people that we have. Um, on our team of 11 people, um, I think, Mike, are we, are we at 15 kids amongst all the families? I think it's 17 um, now. 17? It's, it, that's harder to keep track of. Because they're like grandparents that can't keep track of everyone. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, it's, that, that's been something that um, has really played a, a large part in influence and in, in just even our, our history as a pen to. Um, Mike had their second daughter uh, shortly after a pen to was founded, or before a pen to was founded. Um, it was right around that time. And, and yeah, since then, like two or three weeks from each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and since then, we've had a number of employees that have added to their families. Um, and, and interestingly enough, right around the same time that they joined our team. Um, but that that thing is, you, you know, there there are there are things in life that you just can't get back. Um, and, and time is one of them. And. It's a balance between ensuring that you have a healthy business um, that's able to sustain and meet payroll, um, and then also at the same time ensuring that you know our employees and, and the families that they're ultimately doing this for are also um, sustained. And so you know we, we put a huge emphasis on on the the results and the delivery of the work, um, and our you know have experimented with some some different approaches to really flexible time. Um, and, and so far it's worked out really well um, and the employee satisfaction because of that has been huge um, and it, it's really helped promote a, a culture that's very healthy yeah that's awesome and so do most people are they I mean, it sounds it sounds like a great place to, to I mean, you guys just seem like great great people to work for is uh, is the do you have the same amount of flexibility when it comes to like when people are doing their work so, like, do you have not really set hours so much, or how do you, you know? I'm always curious when people have like fully remote staffs. If you have a, like, you don't really yeah. care if somebody's doing the work at midnight or noon. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. So it that um, uh, when when we first started off uh, culturally, we we said, you know, your your time for work is nine to five in your respective time zone. Um, and and since then, you know, we've put a, a huge emphasis again on on delivery and, and accountability and the amount of trust that we have in each employee to actually do their work. Um, that, that really is the, the key factor of why people um, define and, and set boundaries like hours when you work and that type of thing. Um, there are other reasons too, such as uh, client needs and that type of thing. But, but in general, um, we've gone through a, a number of iterations on a policy that, that pretty much we're, we're calling it flex time, but um, there's a level of communication that's expected between us and our employees, um, okay. our team, to know when they're working. Um, but apart from that, we, we've really opened it up quite a bit more um, in terms that we have some employees that, you know, they, from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., that is when they are on their game. <laughs> and, you know, they, they work a split day like that. Um, you know, the, the main thing is is availability and being able to connect um and so you know all of our clients for the most part are are nine to five in their time zones and we need to be available and and connect with them um 
And so, you know, as long as our employee is, is addressing all the client needs and, and going above and beyond um, in terms of communication and, and uh, client satisfaction, then, then we're really good. Um, and that all circles back into the expectation of, of the client and, and what you can provide and, and how you do that. It's been kind of cool because the as we've been you know getting more used to this new way of working, we've been able to uh, I would say experiment and to identify like what really matters. You know, right. does it does it really matter that someone is available at eight thirty uh, in the morning when I'm let's say I'm in Eastern time zone and that person is in mountain time zone. Well, I mean, the answer to that is no. So then what does matter? What does matter as a manager? And we've been, we spend a lot of time talking about this. Uh, and as Jonathan said, it comes down to expectations and just communication. Uh, I mean, if you have people, and there takes, you know, it's a certain type of personality, but uh, one of the things we're interested to start experimenting with is can people, I mean, one assumption we've gotten to to date is that remote working is a skill that can be learned. Mm. It is a, it, a lot of people put the emphasis on you either have it or you don't, and I would disagree with that in that it's a, it is a, it's a, it's a skill that can be learned just like riding a bike. Yeah. We just haven't been taught because we sat in schools growing up where you're supposed to show up. Um, and I would even take that a step further. I think that also, like, in order for people to learn that, you have to have somebody that is able and willing to teach them that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and so you guys sound like you put a big emphasis on, like, managing performance, whereas I think companies that, that have these policies where people need to show up at a certain time in a certain place, they're basically managing attendance, right? Exactly. And I would take it, we don't manage performance so much as outcome, Okay. Uh, and outcome performance is a function of outcome and time, right. and the amount of time it takes to achieve an outcome. That's you know how you would you know derive a performance metric. But so, like I said, we it's been very fascinating, and, and we've kind of created this test bed to rapidly study this uh, this whole concept, and and we're having a ton of fun doing it. And I mean, there's certain cycles in life. Uh, where I think working outside of the home can be helpful. Um, for me, that came about a year ago where my, it was actually, actually kind of last summer, uh, but kids at home, they realized dad was in the basement mm -hmm. and they wanted to go see dad and they don't understand why he wouldn't open his door. Um, once they get through that, and I think this was, for me, it only happened when... Uh, once my second daughter came along and she kind of grew up to the point where she, they could play together and there was two of them, it, uh, it kind of overcame that. But I, it helped to work outside of the home for a couple months and then I've been back and, and can't imagine leaving now. So Yeah, yeah I think it's like, I, I think it's even just more like short commute time. So, you know, like if you have an office that you can go to that's like three minutes from your home, that to me is like ideal because then you're like out of the house, yeah. but you're not commuting anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's, it, it, 
yeah, working like I said before, working from home is is a different thing. I I tend uh, prior prior to to doing a pen to I freelanced and then prior to that I worked for Union Pacific Railroad and uh, right before I was ready to, to jump off and freelance I, I romanticized I think for the most part about working from home and how great it was going to be and then um, yeah at, and at the time my daughter uh, was just four weeks old uh, so you know looking back it's it's one of those stories that's great to tell because I get a good reaction out of people saying I was crazy um, but it, you know that that whole aspect of it, it it's it's again you know setting boundaries um, in that that can sound really harsh and, and that's not what I intend at all but more it's it's just clear communication and a lot of it on my part has been um, relaxing I guess yeah because yeah. Uh, I, I I tend to get very uptight and focused and in the zone and that's you know I'm rolling and uh, my daughter will dock, knock on the door or, um, or something like that. And, you know, it, it used to be for me that that was just an extreme point of frustration. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, every time my daughter knocks on the door, I'll be able to, to answer it. But oftentimes um, it just resulted in her coming in and just saying, hey, Dad, what's up? Give me a hug and then taking off again. And it... You, Really yeah. just to a point where, you know what, that's okay, and that's really good, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I love working from home. Um, you know, and, and then the other times when, when I really have to get in the zone and I honestly cannot be interrupted, it's, you know, going up and saying to my wife, you know, dear, this is, this is heads down. I, I need three hours of just complete uninterruption. And uh, so that, that works well. And then also getting out of the house, Going to the coffee shop or something—that's right—that's always great. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about just sort of the, the two of you. One of the things, like the and sort of the the—I mean, I know it's a small business, so there's not probably like a huge structure and everything. But one of the things—I mean, I, I I hope I don't sound like I'm putting you on on the spot too much here. But one of the things that, that confused me about you guys when I was emailing with you and we were trading business cards and that kind of stuff. Is that one of you is the CEO and one of you is the president? And I don't know the difference between between those two. That's what a great question. Time? Yeah, there's a funny story there. You want to tell yeah. Jonathan? Sure. So it it comes down to this. Uh, Mike and I are a day apart in age, and so he's one day older than me. So he got the CEO title, uh-huh. um, and I had to succumb to president. Uh, but. <laughs> Um, in, in all seriousness, I, I think that is one of the things that, that is very unique. Um, and when we first started, I, I'd say, Mike, probably the first eight or ten months or so that we were in operation, um, we didn't really see much distinction in terms of between our two roles. Um, and, you know, the, the first three months of it that, that we, uh, Mike and I knew each other uh, prior to Pen2 and, and uh really had a, a long period to, to build a friendship and, and a lot of that friendship was based around our, our previous businesses. Um, and, and so when, it, when we entered into a pen two, we very much looked at it as, oh, well, well, there's two of us and we just paralyze tasks and, you know, that's how we execute. And, and three months into that, then it was like, well, the honeymoon's over. And we realized that Mike and I are two very different people, um, <laughs> which is good when you get to that point. Um, right. And, and from there, it, it, it kind of 
went out and well, what, what's your role and what's mine? And it, it's played out that it really has been an amazing set of, of strengths um, in, in the way that we complement each other um, in regards to just just personalities, work style, everything. Yeah. Um, it, and it, it results in a net balance for the business. Um, and so it kind of on a more practical level, Mike is, is a lot outward facing and, and external um, focus for the yeah. company and kind of the front man in that regard. And I handle a lot of the internal stuff. Mike, like Mike said, I, I handle a lot of the project execution, um, the resource scheduling, that type of thing. And it, 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 it's worked out really well. Um, and I, I think something that really has played out over time is, is we've come through different situations. Um, but that, that honestly, I think, is one of the biggest blessings okay. um, that I've had working with is, is a partner like that. Um, and at the same time, we, we have a ton of fun and joke around a lot. I totally echo that. It, it's, uh, we're able to focus on our strengths in, in working, and, and um, that's, I would say, helped us execute better. And and bounce things off of each other, have that place to, you know, vent because yeah. we can kind of talk together, but yet, um, just yeah. you know. So and you get guys, so you it, both so. did freelancing before you you hooked up together. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Uh, and so, do you feel like you're able to get? Uh, so I, I kid around with people that like when I went from having one kids one child to two children that it was like eight times more more work all of a sudden <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like double you know uh, so do you have you guys found that you you feel the the same way with your business where like by just having had a partner where you could split up okay you're awesome at this I'm gonna, you do that I'm awesome at this I'm gonna do this that you're able to get you know more than twice as much done kind of thing. Yeah, I I think one of the things that I knew when I went into freelancing because I I had run some businesses prior, but not not something that was a, a sole focus of income for my my family. But um, when I jumped into that, it's you know I I figured that there was fifty percent overhead that I was going to have to do, um, and that's that's how I approach it. And that actually that was the best decision that I made. Uh, being able to to watch and monitor that, and so you know, I I I came from a really technical background. I had enough business experience that um, to be dangerous, and in forming the partnership, you know, I, I talked about doing with larger clients. There's a lot longer sales process um, and a lot more involved in it, just in terms of time and um, process. And so that that's one aspect where uh, it becomes really beneficial. And you know, just Mike is really excellent at getting on a sales call and and talking to uh, the decision maker um, and, and being able to uh, take something that's very technical that we do and, and roll it up into something that they can quantify as value. And so in that part of the sales process, Mike really handles that and champions that and then um, when it gets into project scheduling and estimation and resource allocation and that type of thing that's that's where I kind of come into play and so it, it's 
you know, th this is this is actually one process that we're still very much uh, iterating and, and fine tuning. But it's one benefit where multiple people um, is a huge asset, and right. so that allows our our technical people to really focus on what they love doing. Um, and you know, thankfully, I that's one thing that's different. I I'm not involved in the day to day production of coding as much anymore. Okay. Um, I get to run around in mic two on usually internal tooling or, or R&D type stuff. Um, so I, I still get enough of a fix there. But the, the role that I've moved into, um, I've really enjoyed. Nice. Nice. Cool. Well, I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll start wrapping up here. But um, why don't we end with just you guys uh, maybe talking about something that went really, really terribly that <laughs> maybe people can... Can learn oh from. dear! Um, and then, That's and then, the you know, question. <laughs> well, you don't have to do that if you don't want. But, uh, <laughs> but no. and then, you know, just some just advice for people who are either looking to start freelancing or people who are freelancing that are trying to figure out how to like make the move from freelancing to actually like a scalable business. And just you know, some of the but I guess the the, the parting words that you would feel feel like you should leave people with. Um, to. That's a big question. Um, so I would, I would, I would say a couple things. Don't. A lot of people when they jump into a business and they they think short term. You know, I'm. This business could generate ten thousand dollars a month, forty thousand dollars a month, whatever your scale is, and help me achieve X. Uh -huh. You want to figure out X first. Because, and this is this is very Tim Ferriss for our work week. But he is he's dead on that we live in a world that values cash flow a lot more than money in the bank. So figure out what you want to accomplish to accomplish your dream. And your I mean, on it, my dream I, when I figured it out finally was it's very simple. Like, and I'm we're living it now, and. Then you map out how much cash you need to get there because a business, your job is a means to an end. Focus on the end, whether that's spending time with family, whether that is a certain lifestyle, whether that's a certain location thing. Figure that out first and then work backwards. Then if you work backwards and find that you do want to start a business, go look at Eric Rees and the Lean Startup stuff. Mm -hmm. um, specifically because the this is a personal opinion but I think a lot of the ways and this is kind of experiential but a lot of the ways I was taught to do business because my background I was just I got a lot of information a lot of education about this stuff early on a lot of it's wrong <laughs> and, um, it's not wrong because the people who taught it to me were were wrong. It was right when they did it. The last two or three years, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. And if you do, you want to build a business that is built off of the old ways that are going away, or do you want to build a business off of new techniques that are growing? And I would argue that you want to build a business off of new techniques that are growing because you will be better positioned in the future. No, 
those new techniques, you know, follow people like Seth Godin, Eric Ries. Uh, there's not a lot of people doing it right now. It's still pretty early, but the amount of data we have at our fingertips, the amount of reach we have at our fingertips, you can do really anything you want if you can find a problem and effectively solve it. That's what Lean Startup's about, finding that problem and finding it cheaply uh, and validating it because you don't want to, again, put your dream at risk by chasing a rabbit hole that you could have validated for $500 is the wrong rabbit hole. Right. Right. Uh, right. Like, I mean, the, the cost to fail has dropped dramatically. Yeah. Really dramatically. Yeah. You know, the, if I were to recount my failures and, and attach a dollar amount to them, um, I think I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, uh, you know, go big or go home, right? Um, that's not the, that go big or go home is not, that's just, that's not what it is anymore. You can fail very cheaply. And I would say focus in on that when you're thinking and planning this out. The information is out there. There are communities out there where other people are doing this. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. And, um, but I would say, you know, focus on the end goal, focus on where you want to get to and, and what the purpose is before you would just jump off. So many people jump without looking. Yeah. So yeah, so Jonathan, you're gonna have that's kind of a that 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 was a a great answer to the uh, the big question. You're gonna have a hard time following up, but uh. actually, uh, <laughs> like all good things that Mike and I do, his answer is a, a perfect segue into to what my answer is. Um, so I just want to ditto one thing, and that's Mike's comment about uh, just jumping off. Um, that was that was something that I did um, back in 2008, and I. There, there are more reasons uh, behind why I, I personally chose to do that, but um, it's an extremely risky thing to do. And you know, there there comes a point when you need to to jump off and do that. But uh, you know, just just be smart, um, especially if you have a family and there's a lot at risk there. Um, but the the main advice that I would say is, you know, really circle focuses on relationships. Um, you know that is that is key to pretty much everything um, in all aspects of life, and that is is one thing that takes time. Um, you you can't rush relationships, really genuine ones, um, and make sure that you invest there. And then the other thing is really just being aware of when a relationship isn't healthy, um, and and understanding. Uh, what you need to do to to get it in a good spot, um, and, and with that relationship concept is really finding a mentor. Um, I, I think in a number of ways, uh, you know, Mike mentioned venting, and, and that's one of the things that is really true. Um, one of the craziest things you can do is go start a business. Um, the amount of stress in the situations that you you have to deal with and everything can be extremely frustrating um, and sometimes spouses don't always want to hear that they'll be <laughs> very uh, empathetic and, and engaging and oh dear that's I'm, I'm sorry that happened and, and genuine but 
when you're able to talk with another business owner, um, someone that, that's been there, um, that has proven, uh, proven that they, they are, have been down that road that you're going down, um, that's invaluable. Um, and you know, that, that's one aspect of a pen too. Even Mike and I ourselves, um, have some relationships with, uh, with people that have been successful in business, um, are, are older in age, um, and have offered a lot of wisdom. Um, and you know, don't, don't be afraid to go out and ask someone. Um, but bottom line, be authentic in that relationship too. So right. that would be my advice. Yep. Totally agree. Awesome. Well guys, this was, uh, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. I know that you're, uh, yeah, I know you're busy. You guys have a lot going on, and I, I appreciate you sharing some of your uh, your insights and stories. And uh, really, I, it was great. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Andrew. We yeah, had a thank you. time at Big Omaha um, chatting over lunch and, and such, and so wish you the best. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right, everybody, this uh, wraps up this episode of uh, the Project Idealism podcast, and I will be back next month. And uh, thanks again to... Mike Hostetler and Jonathan Sharp are the co-founders of Aventu.